Hey, this is Eric Johnson, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Johnny Winter. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is the Chief, Eddie the Chief Clearwater. You're now listening to Iron City Rocks for good music, baby. Check it out. Welcome to episode 365 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 365 uh, is for all you blues lovers out there. We've got uh, three very, very talented guitarists uh, of varying styles of the blues uh, to introduce to you and uh, share. We have joining us uh, first Eddie uh, Clearwater, also known as the Chief Eddie Clearwater, a fantastic guitarist out of Chicago uh, joining us to talk um, some great stories about uh, his time in Chicago in the 50s and uh, that what had to be an amazing era to, to be playing the blues. Then we have joining us Samantha Fish, a hot uh, upcoming artist uh, who's going to be doing a show at Moondogs uh, this week actually in Pittsburgh. Uh, she's got two albums out in 2017 that she's uh, touring promoting so we'll talk to her in a little bit about that and also we have hannah wicklund uh, another very young uh, guitarist uh, who is traveling she's going to be doing a show at uh, jurgles in wexford uh, coming up very soon so we want to talk to hannah wicklund of hannah wicklund and the stepping stones about that show and her album uh, so if you're in a, a blues kind of mood uh, strap yourself in we've got some great stuff for you this time so without further ado we're gonna we're gonna start off with eddie uh the chief clearwater who um was born in mississippi moved to chicago in 1950 and has shared uh time with uh, howlin wolf uh with muddy waters has played on stage with uh some of the most amazing musicians so uh, he was kind enough to take some time out of his schedule he's 83 years old uh, he's working on a new album as we speak uh, and getting ready for some tour dates this summer so just a, a really a treasure and it was so thankful to get an opportunity to speak to him so we're going to play a little bit of Eddie Clearwater and let's get into that interview. Too old to get married Too young to be buried Get married, too young to be buried. I gotta get my move on and party all night long. Well, I look in the mirror, it tells me the truth. Gone by the days I'm a rock and roll youth. Well, every time I hear that rock and roll sound, it makes me wanna get up to get on down now. Too old to get married. To be buried I gotta get my groove on And party all night long Well, oh, how long for some down blues I can even put on my dancing shoes Some people might say that I'm too old I saw the blues get burnt to rock and roll on Too old to get mad 
City Rocks. We have on the line joining us Eddie, the Chief Clearwater. How are you doing, Eddie? Good. How are you today? I am doing wonderful. It is a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, you're a name that I think a lot of people uh, who follow the Chicago blues uh, know and love. Uh, so it's a pleasure to get you on the show at this time. Um, can you talk just a little bit about, um, uh, you were born in Mississippi, correct? In Macon, Mississippi, that is correct. What, what led you to Chicago? Was it... Um, just fate, or, or did you go there, you know, specifically for music? Uh, specifically for music, because I had heard about there were people in Chicago at that time, Muddy Waters and Little Walter, Howlin' Wolf, Jimmy Reed, they were all in Chicago playing blues night after night at that in that area, which I'm, I'm talking back to. That was September of 1950 when I came to Chicago. 
so they were all here. I had an uncle that lived here. He moved here earlier than I did. And he wrote me a letter saying, if you come to Chicago, you get a chance to pursue your dream and broaden your horizon in music. So I said, well, send me a ticket. Um, I'm on my way. He sent me a ticket on the Greyhound bus for $15 in September of 1950. So hey. I've been in Chicago ever since. Yes. So you were a pretty young man at that point, correct? You were... Yeah, what? I was 15 years old, yes. Now, did you did your parents go at all, or is it just you? Just myself. I had one uncle that lived here. So uh, so I lived with my grandparents, which was his, which was his parents, my, my uncle's parents. And uh, I moved back, moved and stayed with him for a short while until I got a job and uh, then I found my own apartment so uh, the rest is, I've just, just been here ever since now prior to uh, you know 1950 you were um, were you a pretty serious musician you know in your time you know your younger teen years when you lived in Mississippi um, were you playing a lot of clubs and things like that at that point oh no no at that time no I was just I was too young to get in the clubs you had had to be age 21 in order just to get into a club. So I, uh, I just, uh, I played in the church I went to. I played guitar with, along with the choirs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, can you take us back in, in, you know, those, in the 50s in Chicago, you know, did you guys feel, you know the electricity of of the blue scene in that area at the time. I mean, such a you know kind of a landmark uh, time for for blues in in the United States. Um, could you feel that when you were part of that at the time? Oh, absolutely. You said the magic word when you said the, uh, the electricity of it was like magic. It was like spiritual, it was a very spiritual thing. Yeah, so uh, that's what guided me to. I, I would say that's what guided me. Towards music and uh, and and gospel music and, and blues, it was very very electric and very powerful. Was it was it a, a lot of energy? Was it a competitive type of environment though? I mean, you know, I, I you know when you're looking at you know some of the giant names that came out of that era, was was there a sense of one-upmanship? You know, when you took the stage, or, or was it a more of a community? Well, more like a community because uh, it felt like uh, just being at a at a house party, playing uh, among a good fr a bunch of good friends, mm -hmm. and that's what made it feel so spiritual and so uh, so electrifying. Can you um, talk just a little bit for those who might not be familiar? Kind of your kind of tied to Native Americans, you know, and how you kind of came up with the moniker of the chief. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, well, my grandmother was, uh, full, like, almost full blood, uh, Cherokee Indian. Okay. So, uh, I was always, I, I grew up with that, cause I, they always told me that she was, but well, then when you, when you look at her and look at, at an American Indian, you, you could tell that she's very close related, so mm -hmm. I, I grew up knowing that, and, uh, and it was the way I started to wind the headdress. I uh, it was given to me as a gift to wear on stage. I just had an idea, so I, I went to a party at this one lady's house named Pat Sweet. She was she was a bartender where I worked at a club in West Mountain, Illinois. And I said, "That's a, that's a beautiful piece you have hanging on the wall." 
I'd like to have it for my stage appearance. Mm-hmm. So she said, you know what, I can't sell it to you because it belonged to my deceased husband. So I apologized to her for asking. So I kept mentioning it from time to time at the club where we both would. And she said, I tell you what, I won't sell it to you, but I'll give it to you as a good luck charm for your career as long as you promise me that you'll never part with it. So I, I shook hands with her. And as we speak now, it hangs in my basement on my wall, the one that she gave me. I bought some more that I wear on stage, but I don't, the one that she gave me, I don't, I don't take it out of the house. Well, it's obviously, it's, it's paid you in, in the luck, you know, as she promised. You know, you've, you've certainly had a, a very long career uh, and a very successful... Uh, now, your, your style of music, you know, when I listen to, you know, people think blues and, and they think of, you know, kind of slow-tempoed, pentatonic kind of things. But, you know, when I listen to your music, a lot of it's got almost like a, a boogie-woogie feel to it. Um, were there, you know, rock and roll influences that kind of creeped in to what you were listening? Or, you know, where where did some of the more up-tempo, danceable stuff come from? Well, guess what? Rock and roll has been in my life ever since I can remember. Because when I heard people like... Little Richard and Chuck Berry mm-hmm. and Fats Domino. I was very, very attracted to what they were doing, mainly Chuck Berry, because I'm a huge fan of Chuck Berry's. You know, so I just, it, it was it's been a part of me, and I, I, I love the energy of it. it. Like, it just, uh, it just like took over part of my life, you know. It's interesting because I think uh, the, the perception I think a lot of people have when they think of a blues guitarist is that you know you were you know born idolizing Robert Johnson and that's your biggest influence and nobody else creeps in and it is it's important I think to realize that there are a lot of you know you know Jerry Lee Lewis and things like that that you know oh, can yeah, creep into really styles um, you know and, and it makes I really enjoy you know your records to me are very fun uh, to listen well, to. Thank you. Um, can I ask you, a, a left-handed guitarist, um, are you a natural left-hander, or did you just pick it up that way? Natural, or? natural left-handed, yes. Now, it, it, did you string it like a no normal left-hander, or did you do kind of that Albert King sort of mystery to No, it's a, just a regular right-handed guitar, just like the same Albert King, the way he did it. Uh, and also Otis Rush, he was naturally left-handed, yes. Were there particular... So that's why I picked it up particular guitarist that you know in your you know youth that you wanted to emulate as a player was Chuck Berry kind of you know on that list or where where, where was your he would be Chuck Berry would be my main man <laughs> Chuck yeah. Berry I, I performed with him once and and uh I think it's 68 and uh, how was that experience was that intimidating at that point I mean you were you know, obviously, well on your way as a player by 1968. Did do you still get kind of intimidated, weak in the knees when you were playing with somebody? You know that you grew up, you know, with such yeah. admiration. Oh yeah, I was definitely intimidated because the club we were at is a club called the Manor Lounge in west uh, west of Chicago, a suburb called Stone Park, and they had a, a practice of bringing some of the rock and roll stars from the 50s. They brought them in like once a month. Mm-hmm. So that month they had Chuck Berry coming in from St. Louis. So the Bobby, the owner of the club, said, "Guess who we got coming in this weekend?" I said, "Who?" He said, "Chuck Berry." 
because I was doing a lot of Chuck Berry material sure. at the club because I played that like five nights a week in a, as a regular gig. Uh, so Chuck came in that weekend and I walked in the club and the guy, Bobby said, come in the back, I want to introduce you to Chuck Berry. So Chuck had made it, he flew in from St. Louis and he was in, in the dressing room. So I went back in the dressing room and he said, this is Chuck Berry. And Chuck looked at me and he said, Oh, I thought I was looking at myself in the mirror for a minute. Because <laughs> <laughs> at that time I wore my hair long. Right. And there was one that I resembled him quite a bit, you know. So we got along. So he went on stage. He started the show. So the audience started yelling out, Get any clear water up there. Get any clear water up there. And I'm sitting there like, Oh, I wanted to go through my seat. I don't know. Yeah. So then Chuck looked at me and said, Come on up. My guitar was already on stage. He said, come on up. So I went up and I picked up my guitar. And then the audience said, play, play Johnny Be Good. They asked me to play Johnny Be Good. I said, oh, no, no, not in front of Chuck Berry. I'm not going to do, do Johnny Be Good. Yeah, so that's... Chuck looked at me and said, go ahead, play it, play it. <laughs> You're like, please, so no. So, well, that's so we a... got along quite well. That's that's fantastic. I can't imagine. You know, that would be like playing Purple Haze in front of Jimi Hendrix, or you know. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, just no, thank you. Give me some other weird song that no one remembers. Some other or, song. Yeah, something. If I mess up, you know, as long as I'm in the right key, no one's really going to notice right, if I yeah. miss a note or something. That, that's fantastic. Um, have you, you know, over over your career, is there other, you know, kind of people you've idolized that you've got to play with or you know that you really look back and cherish getting an opportunity to share the stage with oh yeah people like Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and Otis Rush and Magic Sam we became very good friends a lot of, lot of good times together just jamming from night to night and Jimmy Reed also yeah uh, spent a lot of time just being around those guys yeah, that's it's wonderful to get, you know, you, you're mentioning, you know, what really ought to be the foundation of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, you know, in those, just that select group of people. It's a, you know, amazing, you know, treasure oh, to, yeah. be able to spend time yeah, Chuck, with them. Yep. Chuck, put Chuck, Chuck wrote the book on that rock and roll. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, your, your latest uh, studio album, Soul Funky, um, you know, it's been a couple of years now. Uh, do you have plans on on following that up or material that you've recorded that we might get to hear at some point? Guess what? I'm working on a new album now. That's uh-huh. what I'm working on. The songs for a new album. Uh, it's, uh, it's all new songs I'm working on. Yeah. Hey, what um what keeps you going? I mean, in the music. I mean, you know, you're in your 80s now. God bless. Um, with more energy and more passion than a lot of musicians in their 30s. Um, what what keeps the drive? What you know? What keeps it fun for you? The, the, what keeps it fun for me is the love of the music and the love for people. I like to be around people and I like to try and make people happy. So that turns me on if if people seem like they enjoy what I'm doing that gives me a lot of enthusiasm to keep doing it because that's what I feel like my energy is for mm-hmm. to try and make someone else happy and I, I it's, it's, it's it makes it I'm very delighted to get on stage and do what I feel I I was put here to do 
Absolutely. Well, you've done it, done it well for many a decade now. Um, do you see yourself doing shows on the road, or do you plan on just kind of? Oh staying? yeah, look at my my agent right now. It's uh, Casey Casey Scott, and he's working on a tour for me. He just gave me some dates in Texas for uh, I think it's June. June. And I'll be going on them for Memphis in May, in May, the month of May. It's called Memphis in May. Well, and much. my wife just handed me a schedule now in my hand. <laughs> when your wife hands you a schedule, you're going. Oh, absolutely. You're smart, <laughs> if man. your wife say go, then you go. I you, said, they, they you, don't hear from Switzerland. Well, that's fantastic. That's uh, Canada. Yeah, well, wherever you're getting the fountain of youth from, um, God bless it, because, you know, like I said, many a man, many years younger to, you know, get out of touring because it's, you know, it's it's an arduous task to go from town to town. Obviously, I don't need to tell you. Oh, yeah, but, it's, it's, a, it's a grind, but you really got to enjoy it in order to do it consistently. You have to really enjoy it. Otherwise, it can wear you down your way out. Yeah. You have to yeah. travel itself because... Getting on stage performing—that's the easy part. But getting to and from, like, yeah. So it's very difficult traveling now, and it's, it's not like it used to be, where you just go to the airport and walk up to the counter and purchase a ticket yeah. and go get on the plane. But now, now it's an entirely different story. Yeah, it's it's a lot of work and it's expensive. You know, that, you know that's. Oh the yes, yes, absolutely. Well, Eddie, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I want to thank you for sharing some stories with us. Um, you know, Thanks so much, John. A giant thank you to Eddie, the Chief Clearwater, for coming on and uh, blessing us with uh, some great stories. We're going to turn our attention now to Hannah Wicklin of Hannah Wicklin and the Stepping Stones. She's going to be coming in to do a show at Jurgles in Warrendale, just outside of Pittsburgh, on February 11th. Uh, she has a, a self-titled album out now, which is kind of a great blend of, of Americana and blues. Um, she's got a very, very soulful voice, uh, a, a real talent, and, and such a, a young woman playing the blues. Um, was really interested in you know what got her into the blues, uh, as you know. Unfortunately, the blues isn't something you hear on you know the iHeart radio stations of the world that you know pump pop music and classic rock into our ears so it's always interesting to hear what got people into these and i think you'll find out with this guest and our next guest samantha fish very very similar uh past to this type of music and really a wonderful story so i'm gonna play a little bit of hannah wickland here and then we'll get into that
Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have on the line Hannah Wicklund, who will be doing a show on February 11th at Jurgles in Warrendale. Hannah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Um, you are just on the eve now, um, if I'm not mistaken, of, of launching this run of dates in, in Philadelphia, which will kind of wind your way across the east and hitting uh, Warrendale before you head off to Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken. So um, can you talk a little bit? This You're okay. doing this tour with, actually, if I'm not mistaken, with your brother's band, uh, the High Divers, correct? Yeah, they're awesome. They're a, a rock and roll band, just like myself. Um, but my older brother Luke, he's um, the front man of the High Divers, and they're they're awesome. Have you toured with them before? Um, no, but we've done. They've always been kind of one show here, one show there. But sure. we've done the sibling rivalry show. Mm -hmm. um, just in our hometowns in the past. We've done, I think, three of them um, over the years. But we did one in Charleston and one in Hilton Head. But this is the first time that we're actually bringing it on the road and we're doing a full-on, you know, 55-day cross-country tour. I think the thing that jumped out at me when you said it was your older brother, that I, I imagine a dynamic. I've, I've spoken to some, some people who have been in bands with husband and wives, but a, a, a woman and her older brother, that would be kind of an interesting, you know, could be kind of a killjoy having your older brother on the road. Um, <laughs> I've got a pretty cool, cool older brother, so that makes it a lot better. But, um, you know, this is, uh, I think, the reason why we're able to really just have mainly fun with it is it is only, you know, three and a half months long, and then we are going to be in our separate vans again. So I'm sure if this was... Uh, if we were doing the band, if we mm -hmm. were in the same band together for forever, I'm sure it would be a little bit more friction than there is with just going on the road. But um, but no, Luke's a, Luke's a blast. It's um it's a really good time. That's wonderful to hear. Now you're you're coming off of, of making a pretty good splash with with the song Ghost, uh, and what I think is a very um, genuine sounding album. You know, you've got elements of blues and, and, you know, some 70s vibe to the music. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you got interested in that kind of music? You know, and not only at such an early age yourself, but, I mean, you're a relatively young woman to be into that style of music, unfortunately, you know, as rock music well, as goes in the charts. Uh, <laughs> I've got my dad to thank for everything. Um, he's the one that got me started playing music, and uh, he's the one that really showed me all of my influences you know um Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and Tom Petty and Led Zeppelin and Cream and all these bands um my dad my dad actually jokes around he's like you know I didn't go to college or anything but he claims that he put me through school of rock yeah. so um That's not a bad you know I, I really yeah I really got lucky with the with the dad I got so yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, to have uh, you know two touring musicians in your family, um, and, and you're not you know Donnie and Marie kind of act, you know, which would be kind of interesting. Um, that says something, you know, to what you guys grew up listening to at home. Um, what particular kind of gravitated you to the guitar was, you know, obviously drums and singing and things like that. But what, what kind of drew you into the guitar? 
Um, well, I've been playing piano since I was three, and um, I had done classical competitions, and, and then I had started getting into the Beatles, and I knew, like, mm-hmm. oh, I feel like every Beatles song. Um, I knew how to play on piano, and, and I would sing and play that. And um, I remember one year for Christmas, I, like, came out, and um, my dad had gotten my brother a guitar, and I thought it was for me. And so I was super excited. I was like, whoa, this is so cool. And then I realized slowly but surely that that was my brother's <laughs> and that the, the what were they, like pogo sticks? I think those were what I had gotten as mm-hmm. my, you know, like big frontal Christmas present, you know, sure. which were awesome. Those were great too. But um, I think my dad saw, you know, how much I you know, was pumped about the guitar. And so um, he got me one and I learned my first few songs that night. Um, my dad had started learning to play guitar when I was born. And so he taught me my first few chords. Um, and then I just started getting lessons. And it was literally like from day one, I've never not been pursuing you know, being the best guitar player I can be. So now, um, when it, when you you know got sucked into you know the the master that is the guitar, um, did, did you learn much from your brother? Was your dad a musician himself? Where did you kind of you know start to learn the craft? Um, I learned from both of them. Right as I like when I was growing up, my older brother was playing drums, and he started a band called the Gnomes that would have their band practice in our house, you know, multiple times a week. Um, and they were, they were basically like a Led Zeppelin cover band. So, um, when I was like five and six years old, I would hear them practicing and then I would go see their show during the weekend and they would play like every Friday or Saturday. So, you know, from the time I can remember my week cycle and then, you know, practice during the day and during the week and then, you know, you play your shows that weekend, and then you do it the yeah, next week. Um, and so from that realm, I totally got that from my brother. Um, and he spoiled me because he's one of my favorite drummers. And so um, I was always listening to him play. Um, but then my dad, you know, he, he was a drummer as well, and a rock band on Hilton Head like 35 years ago, mm-hmm. the Bonzo Brothers. Um, and so he also had a huge impact and, um, he would teach me, you know, he'd teach me the songs, but the best part, um, the best part of my dad is his critiques, you know, like he, after every show, he would let me know, you know, like, well, you need to do this, this make better, like, this is what's missing. And so having somebody with that ear, Mm -hmm. um, and being able to tell you what you need to work on and stuff, that was the, the biggest help that he gave me. I think the fact that you said critique is interesting because, you know, most people when they talk about their parents and, and they would say criticisms, uh, but you're used to the word critique. It's much friendlier. And, you know, that that's, I think, a lot, a lot of musicians need is somebody who's encouraging yet honest, um, you know, with how you're playing and things. Yeah. Um, the tour you have runs through, uh, I believe, you know, kind of the early part of the spring. Do you have plans kind of into the summer, or is you you kind of revisit that once this this run of dates are over? 
Yeah, we're starting to get our, our schedule and staff in order. We're going to be announcing some dates soon. Um, but really, we're just playing on tour always. So we'll we'll pretty much constantly be cranking out some new dates. But we've got some festivals on the lineup and some cool stuff. So with 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 when you're trying to break a new act. Um you know, sometimes repetition in a city is good. Are there certain parts of the country that you've had, you know, maybe more success in when you, you know, when you go to a town that, that you know, maybe this town is just more receptive to rock music? Um, have you found that yet? I mean, I, I've always curious. I don't think Pittsburgh is probably on that list of, you know, towns that maybe um, welcome new artists as well as some other cities. And that's not a criticism on Pittsburgh. It's just... You know, some of it's airplay, but uh, have you found cities that are maybe a little more, uh, you know, open to new bands? Um, I'd honestly say in a more generalized sense, um, just that the Northeast seems to be really, really receptive to rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from the Southeast, and there are a few bright spots down there as far as people that really want to come out and see original live music. I think mm-hmm. that's the trick. Um, is yeah. a lot of cities and people everywhere love rock and music, but it's harder to find people that um, are seeking out new rock and roll music. You yeah. know what I mean? That's a fantastic um, and point. And so the Northeast seems, yeah, the Northeast seems like a hub, though. Um, like we had a really killer show in New York last night, and um, and we we kind of see that it's the rock and roll thing is still very it's. it's pitching on in New York faster than I'd say it is in, you know, Jacksonville, Florida, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like sure. every town is different. But, um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think every town has its niche. Um, but I, I definitely think Northeast is the best spot. Yeah. It is funny how that, that is a certain cities just latch on to certain artists. Um, you know, an artist can be almost huge in an area and unheard of, you know, 300 miles away, and you bring up a great point about the the original word of it. You know, I think if you if you pulled into town and said you were doing a you know a, a, say a Janis Joplin uh, tribute band, um, you know that's going to pull a certain you know demographic out of the woodwork um, because people want to come and you know kind of relive the classics of the classic rock era, where your music uh, to me has a very classic rock sound, but it's you know obviously new music. It's not the same. 35 Led Zeppelin songs that have been burnt into everyone's head. Um, so, you know, to me that makes it very exciting, but for some people, you know, that certainly does, you know, they want the familiarity when they go see a band. Uh, and it's it, virtually impossible to break new rock acts on the radio, um, you know, at the moment, which is unfortunate. So hopefully, you know, we can get the word out and, uh, you know, expose people to your music here in Pittsburgh and we'll give you a warm reception. Uh, for many, many more trips into Pittsburgh. So, Hannah, I want to thank you so much for your time today. I wish you the best, and, and we'll see you when you get into Pittsburgh in a couple of weeks. Sounds great. Thank you so much, John. All right, a big thank you again to Hannah Wicklin. Again, she's going to be in town with Stepping Stones and also her brother's band, High Divers, uh, to do a show at Jurgle. So check that out. And now we're going to turn our attention to uh, our last uh, guest, who is certainly not least, uh, who will be coming to Moondogs on the 8th of February. So that's, you know, any day now, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, Samantha Fish. Samantha, um, very young artist as well, similar to, to Path to the Hannah Wicklin had, 
two albums in 2017, Chills and Fever and Bell of the West, uh, both very, very interesting albums. Uh, one is a little more acoustic, the other is a little more traditional, but um, really a very talented uh, guitarist as well. So uh, I think we'll, we should expect to hear more from Samantha Fish uh, in the future as I think uh, you know the world is our oyster, uh, really a, a great performer and um, can't recommend enough to get out and see her at uh, Moon Dogs this week. So without further ado, we're going to play a little bit of Samantha Fish. We're going to get into that interview. Cheers. 
We have on the line Samantha Fish. How you doing, Samantha? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. If I'm not mistaken, you're on your way to what I believe is a sold-out show in Cleveland uh, today and going to be coming uh, over to Pittsburgh in just a few days to do a show at Moondogs on the 8th. Um, so I wanted to get you on and talk about um, your music, um, you know, such a, a young person playing uh, such great blues music, guys, uh, is, is kind of a, an interesting thing. Um, can you talk a, a little bit at first? I mean, obviously you had two two studio albums uh, in 2017, which is almost unheard of in this modern era of recording. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that happened? Um, well, you know, originally we had, um, after the Wild Heart record came out with Luther, um, I had wanted to go back into the studio with him at Beaver Ranch because we, we kind of made it, we recorded a couple songs there and I wanted to do an entire album of original songs in that style, which was a semi-acoustic format. Um, very raw, you have to do it live. Um, you know, so we made the Bell of the West and, and it was like, I felt like it was a really awesome album and then when it came time to like put it out, like, yeah, I felt like we really wanted to expand and do a bigger band. So then Chills and Fever came about. We sort of sat uh, Bell of the West back for a little while. And, you know, but I, I don't know when, after putting out Chills and Fever, I felt like Bell of the West was such a good album and I didn't want it to be shelved. But we figured let's just put it out two in a year and and really make a statement with these two really diverse records. And uh, and I feel like that was accomplished. Yeah, I mean, it's it's neat to hear um uh, you know because in i think a lot of us grew up listening to music of, of you know some of the great bands of the 60s and the 70s where you would expect an album every year maybe twice a year even and anymore yeah. you know it's not unusual to have an artist who may not have a, a new album four or five years you know but then we'll just grind the heck out of it on the road you're finding time to get in the studio and do recording um is it difficult financially to do that or did you kind of you know, do you work pretty quick in the studio? I mean, I know obviously studio time can be very expensive. I think everybody nowadays is working kind of quick in the studio, as long as you go in prepared and you know, or or knowing that you're going to get a really collaborative effort. We, I mean, I go in and work with like super professional people and, mm -hmm. and really wonderful musicians, and I've been fortunate enough to work with people who are very savvy in the studio and they know how to how to you know get results quickly. So. Um, you know, with Bell of the West, that was definitely, uh, well, just because of the way we recorded it, there's not, there's not a lot of, you can't do overdubs on an acoustic record like mm -hmm. that, especially when everybody's sure. recording together in the same room. You've got bleed over on microphones, so, and that's what I wanted. I wanted this, you know, this, this very natural feeling record, and I mean, you, you hear it because there's banter between the, you know, between the, the cuts and all that. It's just, you know, you're hearing, you're kind of in the studio with us going through that. Right. Um, so a record like that, I mean, it, it can take as long or as little as time as you want it to, and it, it took us a it took us a while. But um, financially, you know, I've got a wonderful label who's crazy enough to let us put out two records mm -hmm. in a in a year. Um, and and I, I think as long as you're selling them, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is neat, you know, to see because a lot of labels don't take chances on artists. You know, if you hadn't you know, had, you know, 8 million views on YouTube and, you know, a, a platinum album by now, you know, a second album is almost unheard of with some artists. So it's really yeah, tremendous absolutely. to see. Um, can we talk, I mean, you're not, uh, 
very old, honestly, and I don't want to get into ages. That's rude to ask, but you're kind of young to be into this style of music, quite frankly. Um, was it something in your childhood that kind of drew you there, or how did you end up, you know, in this kind of blues roots kind of music? Um, well, and I think it, you know, what we're doing is, is pretty, it, it's expansive. It goes over several genres. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up listening to rock and roll. That's kind of what my parents, you know, force fed us as kids because that's what they were listening to. I listened to a lot of the radio. Mm -hmm. Um, my father and his friends, they played guitar and his friends were all in like, they were bluegrass heavies and Americana heavy and country music. And, and so all these different styles I grew up with. I mean, when I started playing guitar, it was like I, I just sort of connected the dots, and everything was, you know, really goes back to the blues. All all American music does, um, and I think I just, I don't know, I fell in love with Junior Kimbrough, and I fell in love with Earl Burnside, and I, I probably found that through like rock and roll, you know, rock and roll brought me to that, right? And um, and I don't know, I mean, I when I put my band together, we were in Kansas City. There's a lot of you know, there's a huge blues community in Kansas City, like blues jams and everything. So as a kid, you know, I'm getting, I'm starting to get my feet wet in the music world. And it's like, go to a blues jam, sit in, you know, work on your chops. And I ended up kind of, you know, in that scene. Um, but I've always tried to incorporate, incorporate different elements of, you know, my musical upbringing into mm -hmm. what I do now. And I think you hear that on the last two records for sure. Yeah, it's great because, you know, you're not a cookie cutter, you know, you don't listen, you know, someone might say, okay, here's somebody who's, you know, of this age that grew up, and, you know, they're a blues player, they're going to be a ripoff of a Johnny Lang or a Kenny Wayne Shepherd, but you don't hear that in your music, you know, there's different, you know, as you mentioned, the microphone's bleeding in on your acoustic record, you can hear that with your with your style. Um, were yeah. there Were there particular yeah. guitarists, as you approach the guitar, I mean, it's it's a discipline unto itself, was there a particular players that you looked up to um when you when you totally i mean i like i said when i was when i was coming up with like the ones i just named with the north mississippi music and, and rock rock and roll stars like i mean i think when i first started playing guitar i wanted to be like angus young you know mm. and then i found you know i listened to tom petty a lot when i was a kid so mike campbell is like the tastiest guitar player on the planet um keith richard and then you know i started seeing these guys playing in front of me and um, you know I, I had some incredible guitar playing producers like Luther Dickinson's one of the best guitar players in the world Mike Zito's amazing guitar player and and um, so I had these like really great guitar player producers doing my albums so you know it's it's hard not to pick up things off of them mm -hmm. and um, I've been really fortunate for that now um, I have seen several clips of you on YouTube playing the cigar box guitar and we were fortunate enough to have a uh, uh, Shane Spiel uh, on a few episodes ago, who was kind of a you know known as a master of the cigar box guitar. But what got you? Uh, what attracted you to the instrument? You know, it's kind of a odd thing to pick up. Oh man, there was this guy named Richard Johnston when I was like 17 years old, and I saw him on a street playing at a festival. He was like playing. He was the midway guy. He was playing. There was the main stage, and then he was playing like a midway. In the street and I was so drawn to his set because because he had it, it seemed like the crowd around him was way more into what he was doing than the people around the main stage he had people mm -hmm. dancing and he was playing that wacky guitar and it had such a weird sound and tone and and then I started seeing a bunch of people play those guitars down there and I just made a mental note and then mm -hmm. years later when we got brought down to play that same festival 
in my band I saw somebody selling them and I just decided to pick one up and it, it made its way into the show and people become you know they, they like that guitar just as much as I do yeah, it's interesting. It's such a simple, you know, people will spend thousands and thousands of dollars on guitars, and then you take a guitar that you might pay a hundred bucks for, and it has such a, a neat sound, and it's such a refreshing instrument to play. Um, did you um, play a ton of slide before you took out the cigar box guitar? I noticed, you know, no, in my own experience, no, I... my slide playing has gotten so much better because of that. Yeah, you know, slide has always been... I, I I was really terrible at it, and I mean it's, it's still something I'm I'm working to figure out. And it's my like really slide guitar is my favorite sound tone in the world, um, and I, I think it's because it's so like it, it's still something I reach for. Mm-hmm. Um, like I love Derek Trucks's playing, and I I love who did I just see yesterday? Leroy Parnell was playing slide. We just did a Wood Songs together, and mm-hmm. and man, it's like it's just so emotive. You know, he was talking about how it sounds like the human voice, the the closest thing to the human voice. So, um, you know, I'm I'm infatuated with slide. It's just <laughs> it's one of those things. I think it just takes years and years and years of really close close work with it. And um, you know, but I I've got the pedal steel at home and the lap steel at home, and, and it's something I, I look to expand upon. Yeah, it, it's it's a truly a difficult thing it, it looks simple i think when you first you know oh it's an open tuning you're playing a slide how can you go wrong and then you try to yeah. do it and it's so easy to sound like a cat you know it's it's not oh a, totally. totally yeah it, it's a uh, now on on the tour you're doing right now as i mentioned you're coming into pittsburgh and, and doing a run o- across a lot of the frozen states right now um are you playing a lot of the new records or how are you kind of distributing your set list um it's really chills and fever and bella the west centric right now um, just and, and it's been really fun, kind of mixing these two, these two uh, really diverse records together. You know, I got like the soul rock and roll band, and then the sweet Americana thing, and 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 so it's like mixing them together, making this heavy sound and and something that's unique and original. I've got a seven piece band right now. I don't know how we're gonna fit on the stage of <laughs> Moon Dogs, but we're gonna make it work. That'll be excellent. As long as you don't do any of if you stay with your your uh, uh, Malcolm Young, you could probably do that. But don't try to do any Angus moves in there. You'll end up <laughs> keep killing right? your, ba- your bass player. Will end up hitting you in the head or something. Well, oh, uh, right, right, Samantha, right. I want to wish you uh, the the best success. Um, again, you'll be coming in on um, Thursday night to do a show at Moon Dogs. Uh, we'll have all the information on our website and uh, safe travels into Pittsburgh. All right. Well, thank you. All right, that about wraps it up for this episode of Iron City Rocks. We want to thank Samantha Fish, Hannah Wicklin, and also Eddie, the Chief Clearwater, for coming on. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this was going to be a giant dose of blues, so I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you're a fan of rock, hard rock, heavy metal, or the blues, we invite you to check out Iron City Rocks. We're on iTunes. You can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you can visit us Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Uh, and Instagram are all forward slash Iron City Rocks. You can reach us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, we appreciate any feedback. You know, we put a lot of effort into this. And, uh, you know, if there's something you enjoy about the show, something you don't like about the show, an artist that you think, boy, this person has an interesting story and they're ignoring them, let us know. You know, there's, uh, in this age of the internet, there are so many artists out there. Um, you know, which is a wonderful thing, but you know, sometimes it's hard to sift through and find the gems. So sometimes uh, a suggestion from a listener goes a long, long way to, to maybe something that we didn't uh, take the time to listen to. So uh, 
let us know what you think, and we appreciate your uh, input and uh, taking the time to listen. Until next time, thank you so much. (laughs) 